0: Good morning, good
1: morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. If you need a will or a trust, or you know someone that needs a will or a trust, or assistance with administering an estate or a trust, give us a call at 240 638 2828. That's 240 638 2828. Law is really powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. When things are done right, it can really help you. When they're not, it certainly can hurt you. I've seen a lot of people get hurt or have to spend additional money because things weren't done properly in the first place. So what you don't know can really hurt you. Each week, the objective of this program is to bring you professionals who know the law to enlighten and empower you. I have two websites that are up 24-7, and there's a lot of good information on both of them. So feel free to go to willsandtrust.net, that's plural, W-I-L-L-S-A-N-D-T-R-U-S-T-S dot net, N-E-T. There's a lot of information on that particular website about what's a will, what's a power of attorney, what's a trust. There are examples of how they're used, what they're used for, why they're needed. So please feel free to go there and get some basic, more than basic information. And, of course, the website for this radio program, which has audio of many of the programs. It's I've been on it for seven years now, is called Law Talk with Ethel So please do go there. There's a picture of me. An old picture, but it's still me. And a lot of the programs, particularly when I've had guests, are on that website. Call me now while I'm on the air. I'm here for an hour and a half. So if you have questions about deeds, about wills Power of Attorneys, Advanced Medical Directives, what happens to property when people die. This is the time to call 1-800-450-7876. That's 1-800-450-7876. Give me a call and I will do my best to answer your question and explain how the law works. But please remember... There is no attorney-client relationship established by anything I say on this program. What I'm giving you on this program or what's on my website are for information purposes only. It is purely for educational purposes. Each person's circumstances really are different, and you must go to a lawyer yourself to get counsel for any situation for which you need legal advice. That's important, okay? So today we're going to talk about, you know, the various documents, what they are, why they're important, what they do, and to some extent what happens when you have them and what happens when you don't have them. But before I get started today, I wanted to just send out a caveat because I'm seeing on the on the television notices about this. I've even gotten a phone call myself. That's crazy. Do not be, I mean, well, let me say it this way. Beware of telephone scams. Beware of them. The U.S. government, the Internal Revenue Service, the Department of Drug Enforcement, the U.S. government does not accept Walmart cards or any kind of gift card in payment of anything, of anything. If anybody calls you and says that if you don't do something, if you don't go to Walmart or go to some other store and get a gift card, of a, with money, put money on a gift card, and then call them back and give them the gift card number, it is a scam. It is not true. Hang up the phone. Tell your parents, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts that anytime Do not give money to strangers that call up on the phone. Even if they tell you they're the IRS and they're coming to pick up your firstborn child or grandchild or that they even have them. Okay, that is a scam. The government does not, banks do not, accept payments from gift cards. So do not, under any circumstance, put money on a gift card and then call somebody and give them that gift card number. Don't do it. Okay, and tell them I said so. Because it's a big scam. It's going on a lot all over the country. They're targeting elderly people in particular, but all people. You don't have to be elderly to get this one. Okay. But it is a scam. So do not, I repeat, do not go get money on a gift card and then call somebody and give them the number for any reason whatsoever because it's a scam. All right. That's, that's, I really wanted to share that because it's happening a lot. And people are losing thousands of dollars behind this. So don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay, so let's get started. Everybody needs three basic documents. Let me just repeat you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host attorney, Ethel Mitchell. Give me a call now while I'm on the air. Call early so I have time to answer your questions and explain the law behind certain things if I can. One eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. I understand there is a caller on the line. May I help you? You're on the air.
0: Yes, good morning Hello? attorney FF. Can you hear good me? Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Yes. Yeah, good morning. Um <laughs> regular listener, I always say your your program is about the best on WL. I know oh, you're not <laughs> I know in your opening statement you said that your specialty is in um preserving, protecting and passing on property. The question I have for you this morning has to do with what is the what is the best option for passing on a property to a um to a a a child that for instance, myself and wife, we are in our in our late sixties. At least I am in my late sixties, my wife is in our lower sixties and mm-hmm. Our daughter is living with us, and she doesn't own a home. And we, that, mm-hmm. we, we were saying, okay, we, we need to pass this off to her. But it, is there a better option of doing it, putting our name on the, on the deed, um, getting our involved with the, uh, on the loan? Is it uh, doing a trust? What, what, what is our best option, and, and how does that impact the taxification?
1: Okay, very good question, and thank you for calling but let me ask you a question first. Is your daughter an adult? Yes,
0: yeah, she, she's in her um, low 30s or mid-30s, I think. Yes. Okay,
1: okay, that, because that makes a big difference. If she's already an adult and you're okay with her getting it outright when you die, okay? Yes. Then there are, two, there are several ways that you can do it. You do not uh, want to put her name on the deed right now because... Yeah, when you put somebody's name on the deed you're gifting them the property and so uh, they are going to have your basis so for example suppose you paid 100000 for your house and it's yeah. now worth $400,000 right if, if you gift her the house she gets the $100,000 basis so if she gets it when you die it's worth 500000 and she sells it, she's got to pay capital gains on that whole basis. Yeah. What's better to do is to do one of two things. Well, there's several things. If you live in D.C. or you live in Maryland, especially if you live in D.C. or you live in Virginia, there's what's called a transfer on death deed, okay? What that does is when you die, the deed says... When I die, this this property goes to my daughter. Okay, when I die, that gives her the step up in basis. It allows her to get the property without going through probate, and it avoids a lot of other, you know, confusion, if you will. In DC, sometimes now the title company still wants you to do a probate, but they're more and more accepting it. The only thing she has to do when you die is to do a confirmatory deed. A better way that I I prefer, quite honestly, is to do a trust which says, when I die, if my daughter, you know, is is alive, then I want her to have this property. And she is the uh, successor trustee. Right now, you and your wife are... Almost certainly, and I'd want to be sure about this, the deed to the house would be in both of your names as tenants by the entirety. You actually don't want to change that because tenancy by the entirety can only be between husband and wife or between marital parties, okay? That gives the two of you a certain level of protection that you give up if you put somebody else's name on the deed, even if you change it into a transfer on death deed. So you want to keep the tenancy by the entirety. You really do. Instead, what you want to do is buy a trust or buy a, both of you would each have a will if you choose not to do a trust. And the will would say, when I die, if my husband is deceased or if my wife is deceased, then I give the house to my daughter um tax wise there is little difference okay please understand that there's tax tax wise there's little difference except when you put her name on the deed that's where the tax consequences arise and even then it only arises if she gets ready to sell the property but in terms of inheritance taxes, D.C. doesn't have an inheritance. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. If you have an estate of over $5 million, then D.C. and Maryland have uh, an inheritance tax. The Fed is $11 million. So it kind of varies. I hate, I hate to keep saying that, but it really does. You have to kind of talk to a lawyer about the specifics, what your objectives are. I, as a lawyer, prefer to keep you in control of the, of the property. She might grow up and marry somebody that you don't like. God forbid she might even die before you. So, you know, it, it, you want to maintain control of your property for your lifetime, and, but make arrangements so that she can get the property in the easiest, least expensive uh, way. So those that those are my my suggestions on that. Uh, you can always give me a call at two four zero six three eight two eight two eight, and my assistant will schedule um, a video conference. We'll send you the client information form, and then we can get into details about what's the best way to do this. Um,
0: we, would, we would definitely do that. But here's a two part question. Um, uh huh. With, with putting our name on the mortgage. The, uh,
1: uh, an option we also have
0: putting our you name have
1: the, part of the- You have the option, but remember something: two things. One, usually the mortgage company will want her name to be on the deed if you put her on the mortgage. Okay, and 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 two, if you put her name on the mortgage, it begins to impact her credit as well, which is. Maybe okay, but, I mean, just know that if she decides she wants to buy a home of her own, then she's already got herself embedded on another debt. So you want to be careful about that. You and also... The other of that
0: question would, would be...
1: Go ahead. Well, you would also lose the protection of the tenancy by the entirety that you yeah. almost certainly have right now. Uh, between between your spouse and yourself and I I personally think that's an important protection I really do okay so then the
0: other part of that question seeing that the mortgage is is an assumable mortgage would that also be an option for her to assume the mortgage
1: after you die
0: no I'm talking about right now the fact that the mortgage is assumable and we say you just want her to take it over is that all is that an option? Is that a viable option?
1: Of course. I mean you can always do whatever you want to, but if you are you want do you want to give her the house right now while you're alive? That's that's, right 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 we'll Why would you if you don't mind me asking, what would be your objective there?
0: Well I'm I'm at retirement age, my wife is close to retirement age and we'll just play the
1: dumb side. I see. Oh, so you're thinking about really giving up the house anyway, yeah, and and no. moving? To, oh, sure. Well, well, well. Let me see though. Let me see now. Let me see now. You got to think it through a little bit, and it's hard to, to give you specific information right now. I'm, I, you'd have to look at the. It's hard for me to give you specific information without a little bit more detail that I don't want to get into on the radio. Okay? Yeah, do that. Because you gotta you wanna protect this daughter from the from the capital gains tax. That's where I'm worried about, quite honestly. Yeah, good if question, you give her the situation, situation, house yeah. right now. If on the okay. other hand you sell her the house Okay, you might be able to structure something where you sell her the house, and she's buying it by assuming the mortgage, some kind of way, we might be able to do something that would reduce her potential capital gains later on down the road, if she decides to sell the house, you know, after y'all did and gone and so on like that, there might be something that we could do about that. But it's not as easy as But you certainly can, if you're ready to give up the house, downsize to something else. I think that's admirable that you want to turn over the house to her. It's just that we got to figure out a good way to do it. Okay? Right.
0: The only other other consideration is the fact that I have two kids. My son already owns his own house. And my father, the two of them own the house together. And then they sold that he bought his own. And she's right now considering buying her own. And what you're saying, take take, take us... our house over, we would need of compensating him for the fact that, you know, he would, he would have bought a lot of an inherited portion of our house.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, you got a lot of moving parts going on, so yeah, we'd have to look at that whole thing in terms of not only the equities, but the potential tax benefits and tax consequences of, of doing all that together, okay? But it's a great no question. question. I think it's I a huge. I think you've
0: got me off in, in, a good, in the right direction. I definitely need the appointment so we can go into it in more
1: detail. Thank you, very much. Okay. All right. Thank you for the call. It was a good call, very good call. Thank you. He, he raises another issue also, another way to look at that situation that I want people to start thinking about. I'm not saying it's appropriate for his situation or for a situation like this. Let's say instead of his own house where the family is and, and the, the son has a house and so on, let's say instead that the, the parents are considering or maybe already have rental property. One of the things I want our, my listeners and people to start thinking about is when you buy a property for rental purposes, Have a lawyer create an LLC or corporate entity of some kind and then buy it in the name of the corporate entity, the LLC. What that does is, number one, LLC means limited liability corporation or limited liability company, and it gives you automatic protection, asset protection from any lawsuits that might arise, as long as you use the corporate form and you follow the law properly, rental property should really be in, or any kind of commercial property, should be in the name of the LLC or in the name of some kind of a corporate entity. You, You have to do it right and you have to use the right corporate form and have an accountant help you to set it up, but not only What it does is initially, if you buy it in the name of the corporation, you don't have to worry about trying to transfer it from your individual names, like a lot of my clients do, into the corporation, which in D.C. forces you to pay a 1.45, depending on the amount, or 2.9% uh, transfer tax, transfer and recordation tax. Not only does it give you asset protection, but a corporation or an LLC is much easier to distribute at your debt because it's owned by shares. It's owned by membership units. And you can, if you have a trust, you can own it in the trust. But basically, the transfer of corporate shares is much easier. Instead of having to do a deed, instead of having to divide it up into so many different shares and pieces, and so now you've got property that's owned by three, four, five, sometimes more people, all you're doing is dividing up shares, which are not publicly recorded. They're much easier to deal with. Business lawyers can guide you on how that is done, and the rental property can be managed as the commercial endeavor that it is. So I want people to start thinking about using corporations or LLCs to own property when you are using or having that property primarily for rental purposes. There are a lot of families here that own four units, four plexes in Washington, D.C. There are many young people who own their primary residence and they own three or four other rental properties. Okay. So this is really important. I I want you to start thinking in terms of using the corporate form and not just buying everything in your individual name. Of course, to do it properly, you should have a lawyer to help you. I don't do it. Let me just tell you that. I'm not I'm not drumming up business for myself. I don't I don't create LLCs. I don't do the corporate form, but I know lawyers that will help you to establish the LLC, will help you to run it properly um and you know, once you know what you're doing, it's really quite easy to continue it. And uh, it's much much easier To do business that way, it's much more protected that way, and there are a lot of other benefits in terms of taxes, in terms of income, uh, deductions, and so on that a a business lawyer can show you, Uh, and it becomes the foundation, or it can become the foundation for creating family wealth uh, another way, not the only way, but another way, uh, if. If you are inclined to uh, collect or to purchase a lot of real estate, so think about it, okay? You're listening to law talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host attorney Ethel Mitchell. Each week, I come on at this time to talk about how do you protect, preserve, and pass on your 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 properties, how do you create legacies that will go from one generation to the next. You call me now, please, while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876, 1-800-450-7876. Uh, you can call for an appointment, for a consultation to my office at 240-638-2828. Two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. We continue to work remotely. The phone is answered remotely. It's monitored by my staff. They will call you back. They will send you the client information form that we always ask people to fill out before I talk to you. Because I really want you to think about having the power of attorney, the advanced medical directive, the will, and perhaps the trust. And so when I talk to you, even initially, I like to have an idea of what property do you own, your life insurance, your retirement account, and what your objectives are overall for your family, for your friends, for your loved ones, uh, if you have charitable intentions. And then we can look at the whole picture and design something that's appropriate and best. Law is really powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. And when it comes to property, law is very clear. When it comes to property, it's very, very clear, and it's important that you follow what the law says and requires, okay? That is really, really important. If you are an adult, there are three primary documents that you must have. Oh, um, well, let me give out the number one more time. While I'm here, if you have questions, call in 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876 if you have questions for me while I'm on the air. There are three primary documents that everybody needs to have. That's the power of attorney, the advanced medical directive, And the last will and testament. So let me explain to you what each of those documents do and how they assist in protecting, preserving, and passing on your legacy. Your last will and testament states or should state several important things. Number one, it should name who's in charge. That person is called the executor or personal representative. I ask my clients to have at least one person and then an alternative. So if you do have another person, then you can say this person is my first choice and then if that person is not able to do it, then a next person. That's important, okay? Cuz you want you don't want any fights about who's going to be in charge. Number 2, The will should provide that the person in charge does not have to post a bond. That saves money, and it can make sure that that person is able to serve without any difficulty. A lot of people are wonderful. You trust them and so forth, but they can't qualify for a bond. A bond is an insurance policy, a surety bond that says if they run off with the money, the insurance company will pay it. Insurance companies don't give you that unless you have good credit. So I've had people who were named, but the, uh, uh, the 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 will didn't say no bond, and so the court says you have to have a bond, and the company won't give them a bond, and so we're stuck. We have to get a stranger if there's no alternative, you know. So just make the will say no bond. Who's in charge and no bond. Even in Maryland, where they always require a bond, if the will says no bond, it's strictly a nominal bond. A nominal bond does not require a credit report, okay? The will then will direct the distribution of your assets. It says very clearly who's to get your stuff, and it makes such a difference. I have clients who have, especially when you do not have children. When a lot of aunts and uncles raise their nieces and nephews, okay? they consider their nieces and nephews that's just an example as their own children. A lot of nieces and nephews take care of their aunts and uncles when they get older. And so those persons want those nieces and nephews to be their heirs. If they don't put it in writing, it will not happen. A properly drawn-up will will say exactly what is to happen. If it's done and it's executed properly, it's done by a lawyer, it's executed properly, it has the attestation clause on it, um, and it's done long before the person gets sick or there's any question of their their uh, competency, it will direct the passing on of the property as that person has directed, it will withstand a fight or an argument from other people in the family that think that they should have gotten it. You know, sometimes people have children that have not been as close to them as their nieces and nephews. Sometimes people have brothers and sisters who already have stuff, or maybe they don't have such a good relationship with them. You have a right to leave your property to whoever you want. But in order to make it happen, I've had people call up and say, I want my sister to have my property. I want my brother to have my property. Then you've got to have a will. You've got to have a will. Okay? And you have to have a properly drawn-up will. It has to be witnessed properly. The person that you're naming to get your stuff should not be a witness on the will. It should have the attestation clause on it. And... Even with a notary, if it doesn't have those elements, it may not be acceptable to the court to pass property. So be careful. It is important and it is worth it to have a lawyer draw it up to supervise the execution and to make sure it says what you want it to say. Okay? That's really important. Now, you need the notary, I'm sorry, you need the original last will and testament to be available to to whoever is the personal representative or whoever is going to receive from this will please either give them the original will or tell them where it is if you insist on putting it in a safety deposit box put their name on the box and give them a key to the box tell them exactly the geographical location of the bank where the safety deposit box is. A lot of times people will call me up and they say, Uncle so-and-so, or my father told me that I had, he had gone to the lawyer and done the will and he has it in the safety deposit box. And I'll say, okay, where? And they say, well, it's at SunTrust Bank. And I'm like, which SunTrust Bank? They have no idea. And it's really, really hard then to find it because the banks are not going to tell you that they have a safety deposit box. They're not going to tell you if you don't know it already and your name is not on the box. I don't care how much your aunt told you or your uncle told you or your father or your mother told you. They will not tell you unless you are appointed as personal representative of the estate, that you need a power of attorney, an advanced medical directive, and a last will and testament. And I explained what are the elements of a properly drawn-up will and how you do it and make sure that it can be used. A will that you can't find is not very useful. It costs a lot of money to get a copy of a will, admit it to probate, and sometimes it's, the court just won't accept it. Okay, so you need the original will. Years ago, lawyers used to keep wills. We used to have these great big vaults and we would keep wills for people. Rarely is that done anymore. I've never kept wills. Um, But if in fact your mother or your father or whoever it is that you are working with or you expect to inherit from said, baby, I gave it to the lawyer, or is that the lawyer's office, find out exactly. The name, the address, the phone number of that lawyer, in fact, what I would recommend strongly is that you have your parent or whoever will it is authorize the lawyer to give back the original to your mother, your father, whoever will it is, so that you have it or they have it in their hands and then they can protect it. Now you can get these metal boxes at Lowe's or you know, Home Depot or wherever, lock it, put it under the bed, but just make sure whoever's supposed to uh, be the personal representative knows where it is and knows how to get to it. Okay, that's really, really important. Um, So you need a will. Understand, however, a will has to be probated, meaning that you have to file the will in the court So just having a will may not be enough. One of the reasons why I'm so determined and and try to be very thorough when I work with clients is I know that even having a will does not automatically make your property go the way you want it to go. It will, and quite often in many states, you can do things with deeds. You can do things with beneficiary designations. You can do things with transfer on death designations. So, all of those factors should be part of the passing on process. And I always try to make it as easy as possible for my clients. So, as long as you don't have minors or you don't have people who you are not sure can manage what you're leaving for them, so you want to put some limitations on. Uh, when they get it, how they get it, what it's used for. When you want to do that, then you got to do a trust. But if you've got an adult or adult uh, beneficiaries who are responsible and you're okay with them getting your property and you don't mind probate, then the combination of a will, beneficiary designations, transfer on death on death designations, and looking at deeds and seeing what else we can do with deeds might be sufficient to pass on the property without having to go through court. Sometimes, maybe not, but we try to make that happen. It is definitely easier with a trust, easier in the sense that when you dive, the process of transferring assets with a trust, is much easier if you've done all the other things that need to be done, meaning if you've changed your deed into the trust, if you have your bank accounts in the trust, and so on like that. But I'm not sure I'm going to get to all of that today. I really wanted to kind of focus and give information about the power of attorney and the medical directives as well. So three documents. The will, the power of attorney, the advanced medical directive. We talked about the will. Let's talk now about the power of attorney and the advanced medical directive. People are sometimes surprised to hear me say that the power of attorney is an important document. It really is. But you want to make sure that the power of attorney is appropriate for your state And don't get me wrong, a power of attorney or any legal document that is valid where it is executed in the United States is supposed to be acceptable in any state in the Union, the full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution. However, as often is the case in law, There are little things that can make a huge difference, and I'll just share with you a situation that occurs more frequently than I would like. Washington, D.C., has a specific form of power of attorney that when you go to use that power of attorney for recording a deed, the recorder of deeds office has and will quite often reject the use of a power of attorney to transfer property in D.C. if that power of attorney is not in the format that they want. So that's why wherever you're listening to me, whether you're in D.C., in Maryland, in New York, in Mississippi, Texas, wherever, Georgia, You want to use a lawyer that is in the state where you are domiciled, where you are living, because that lawyer will know or should know the format that the state likes. And it becomes important when, God forbid, the principal, meaning the person who's giving you, the power of attorney becomes incompetent, meaning that they are no longer able to sign another document. When they are no longer able to, you know, lawyers can't fix everything. And once the person is incompetent to sign documents, you can't do a new one. You see what I mean? You can't, it, let's say your parent gave you a power of attorney or an elderly person gave you a power of attorney, but it's old. It hasn't been used uh or it doesn't it's not in the format for what you want to use it for now, um, but they can't sign another one, then you may not be able to take the actions that you want. For example, another situation, deeds are one thing in, in Wash in, in the district. Another one that's come up is that the power of attorney doesn't authorize online banking. There are some banks that will not allow you to manage the banking of the principal online if the power of attorney doesn't give you that power. So it's important two things. One, that even this document be done by a lawyer in the state where you're primarily resident and where it's to be used. Two, that it be updated. I suggest every five years at the longest because new things come up all the time, okay? Um, And Three, it can be, it it can operate in one of two ways. You can have a power of attorney that is effective immediately. And if so, you are always able to use that. And when someone is either very sick or is over 80 years of age and they, you never give a power of attorney to somebody you don't trust. Never, ever, ever, ever. I don't care if they're your, your spouse, your child, if you don't trust them, don't give them your power of attorney, okay? Because they can wipe you out, and I've seen it done. But once you are of an age where you may need to use the person who you've given the power of attorney to, they are beginning to help you with your banking, helping you with your legal affairs, probably want to have that power of attorney effective immediately instead of only if you are incapacitated. If the power of attorney says it's only effective if you are incapacitated and the doctors have to say that you are, then you have to be taken to a doctor and the doctor has to, on their letterhead, uh, say that you are incapacitated before the person can use the power of attorney. Several of my clients have run into that, and um, sometimes doctors just aren't willing to do it. They're just not willing to do it. You can't get it done, and so then you're stuck. But you need to have that power of attorney to take care of bills and so on like that. So when you're getting into that situation, like at the very beginning of signs of dementia, of the principal, if your power of attorney is what we call springing, then I strongly recommend That you change the power of attorney while they're still competent to sign a new one, get a new one done that says it's effective immediately. Okay, that is really important because the power of attorney really helps you. The reason why the power of attorney is effective is because it authorizes you to act on behalf of the principal. There are two people involved in a power of attorney. There's the principal, that's the person who's giving the power and the agent. So Mr. Robert Jones, my my person, is the principal. He's the father, and he's gonna empower his son, Mr. Albert Jones, okay? Albert Jones is the the, uh, agent, uh, and he authorizes him to act on his behalf in legal matters and financial matters under the power of attorney. Um, in in my own family, when my mother and father were alive, we each each gave us a power of attorney. We were a blended family, so dad had his three children, and mother had her four children. They did not have children together because they didn't get married until they were in their fifties. But we blended the family They blended the families together, and so I had prepared power of attorneys where dad's daughters. Would be his power of attorneys, and mother's children, me and my brother, initially would be power of attorney for mother. And what we discovered, or they discovered, because they were in Texas, I'm up here in D.C. Uh, my sister called and said one day, uh, one of dad's children, who I consider my sister, called and said, "Abel, well, I'm seeing all kinds of magazines showing up at the house and." Uh, you know, she was helping him with his banking, and she's noticing charges on his credit card bills and so on like that, that that were out of line. And I said, well, find out what's going on. You know, you have the power of attorney. Um, and You can call up and send them a, a copy of it, and they have to talk to you. And she did. And what we found out was that Daddy was looking at TV. And he'd see a, a ad for. Um, uh, he liked to tinker. He liked to build things. He liked to, you know, especially when he was younger. Daddy could sew. People don't realize that. And 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 you know, in in our parents' generations, men were tailors. Daddy made coats and suits and 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 clothing for his daughters as well as for his grandchildren. His grandson in particular. Um, so he would see something on the TV. And even though he was 80 years old at the time, he would say, oh, that would be good. So he would order it. And he would give these people his credit card information. And then they would use his credit card information to send him all kind of magazines and stuff like that. And all of a sudden now his credit card bill was out of line. And I said, call them, send, when, they, when they ask you who you are, fax uh, email the email the 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 power of attorney that daddy gave you and then you can stop it. You know, now of course she had to ask Daddy, you know, and, and he would grudgingly say yes, you know. But it was very, very useful. And I had to do it myself for my mother at one point. Um uh, and at one point I had to actually threaten to write a letter to the consumer protection agency and to go on social media and expose a particular company for what they were doing. So the power of attorney is extremely important. When you have mortgages that you need to ask questions about, check on bills, credit cards, even sign transfer on death deeds, if the if the power of attorney authorizes it when it comes to real property, often they will require that the addresses of the property involved be included in the power of attorney. So when I do power of attorneys, if the principal says, if Mr. Jones says, I authorize my son, Albert Jones, I think we called him, to be able to sell my property, then I put the address of the property into the power of attorney. And that way, if there comes a time when the the property has to either be sold or you have to sign a transfer on death deed, or sometimes quite often more and more people are having to use reverse mortgages, which I hate, by the way, do not just do this without consultation. That is the only resource that they have to get the money to pay for their parents, then the power of attorney needs to say that I authorize the uh use of this power of attorney to get a reverse mortgage as well so that the child is able to sign the papers that are needed for the daughter i mean the 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 parent or the principal to get the the reverse mortgage on the property to get the money to pay for them for their care so the power of attorney is extremely powerful, and it is important, but it's important that it be done by a lawyer in the state where you live. Do not just rely on something that you get online. Please. It may not be sufficient. I've had, especially in in the District of Columbia, I've had the recorder of deeds refuse to accept the power of attorney that was prepared by another lawyer that did not have the right language that DC wants. Um, it's really, really important. Uh and and if the person is unable to sign another one, you're stuck. You can't get things done. Okay? So as the will, the power of attorney, and then but remember the power of attorney dies with the person. Power of attorney has absolutely no effect once that person dies. Okay, so you can't do a transfer on death deed after the person has died. Cannot do that at all, period. Uh and even with a power of attorney, you can't do a transfer on death deed after the person dies. They have to be alive. Even in Maryland, where you do an enhanced life estate deed, you cannot do that deed. If that person is dead, okay. So that's really, really important. But it still is a very important document. It allows you. Another instance that it's come into play is uh, I remember uh, the the nieces were trying to help their aunt. That's a very important relationship: niece, nephew, uh, uncle, uh, and so on, like that. That's a very, very important relationship. So those of you who are in those relationships I strongly recommend that you encourage your 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 loved ones to have the appropriate power of attorneys, advanced medical directives and wills. Not just parents, but also aunts, uncles, nieces and nephews, godfathers, godchildren. Please empower them and have them empower you so that you can help them if need be. Okay? But before I forget, I I did have nieces call me one time. Their aunt had had a stroke. I remember that very well. And one thing that happens when you have a stroke, apparently, is once they start, you can have a whole bunch of mini strokes. Um, And and this was sudden. And the aunt had had a stroke. There was no power of attorney. There were no documents in place at all. The aunt actually had long-term care insurance that would have paid for her care after she got out of the hospital. Because remember, health insurance only pays for health insurance in the hospital. But after you get out, after 20 days, there's no more insurance. At that point, either you have to pay for it yourself or you have a particular kind of policy called long-term care. And this lady had it. But the nieces who were trying to take care of her didn't have a power of attorney. She had never done a power of attorney. And the long-term care insurance company would not accept an application. If you'd like to have a consultation with me and or to have your estate documents prepared, give me a call at my office, Wills and Trust, LLC, at 240-638-2828. 240-638-2828 two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. Just before the break, I and and throughout the program today, I've been talking about the three primary documents that everyone needs to have. The will, the power of attorney, and I'm just about to get to the advanced medical directive. I'm gonna to have to rush through that, uh, but I think it's important that you understand the medical directives. It is more comprehensive than the five wishes, okay the five a lot of people have the five wishes, which are pretty good, but I strongly recommend that, as part of your package, you have the medical directives done by a lawyer because the, the medical directive done by a lawyer has a bit a lot more power which is needed if and when you become unable to make decisions for yourself. A properly drawn up advanced medical directive authorizes specifically doctors and medical staff to talk to your agent. Remember with a power of attorney, there's the principal, the person that gives the power and the agent. Uh, I understand there's a caller on the line. Uh, Good morning, you're on the air.
0: Hello, transfer. Oh, Can you hear me?
1: Yes. Hello. I can hear you. Yes, I can I, hear you. I'm talking
0: about home title transfer. when, when the parents passed and leave the house, the house is still with really How long I mean, do you have to transfer the house back to your name immediately, or can you wait?
1: Wait, I'm I i, I did not get the first part of your question. Let me explain I, about, your, my
0: question. Let me explain. My parents passed, and they left the house to five of us. The house is still in my parents' name. When is it transferred to to my name or my
1: siblings' You definitely want to do that as soon as possible because you can't do anything with that house until the, the deed to the house is put into your name. When they left the house, did they leave it in the will?
0: Yes, they left it in the will to the five remaining siblings, yes.
1: Okay, so you've got to go to court. You've got to file that will in probate. Have somebody in the will, uh, whoever was named as a personal representative, be appointed as personal representative by the court, go through the publication period, and then the personal representative does a deed from the estate of your parents to the five of you. That deed is recorded, and then it's in your five names, and then you can do with it what you want. Until that's done, you can't do anything with that property.
0: Okay, do I, I put the title on all, do I
1: put the title on all five names? Whatever. In the same deed, you put all five names on it. Okay. The same de- One deed with five names. You follow what the will says. If the will said to all five people, then once you're named as personal representative, there's what's called a special personal representative deed that says from the estate of the name of the last person who died or whoever's name the property is in to the names of the persons who the will said it, go, it went to. That okay. deed has been recorded, okay, and then the five okay. of you will own it, and you can do what you want to with it at that point. But that has okay. got to be done.
0: Would there be a penalty for doing this late? I mean, the parents have been dead 10 years, and the uh, property still been in my parents' name. Will there be any kind of penalty or something for being late?
1: Is this in D.C.? Yes. the What is going to happen? It's not a penalty exactly, but what the court will do is make it what we call a supervised administration because it's been so long. Okay? And all that okay. means is an you have to file more paper. You have to file an actual accounting, and an auditor has to approve it, although there is another document that if you can get each of the five people involved to do what we call a waiver, of 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 uh, the accounting uh, mm-hmm. that you still have to wait the six months, but if everybody signs that waiver, then it doesn't have to go through what can be a very long process because they're short-staffed at the court, okay? Uh, we're, we're, um, okay. Um, but yeah, you, you really wanna do that and get started on it soon because if one of you dies, then you got another probate you gotta go through. Seriously. Uh, okay, so we but have really and truly, yeah, you really wanna do you wanna do that quickly. You need the death certificate, you need everybody's name and address and, and all like that. But it's yes, you have to get it out of the name of a deceased person into the name of those who are surviving. And thank God there's a will.
0: Okay. But you gotta do
1: it quick, okay? Okay. All right. So give me a call. Very good okay. question. Thank you for calling in. Okay, right. thank you. All right, bye right. bye. Um you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Each week, I come on to talk about these things, to answer questions, because it's so very important that you know these things, you understand them, and you get it done. Okay? Just do it. It may take a little time. It may cost a little money. But God knows it's worth it. It really is. I've got people selling houses for eight hundred and nine hundred thousand dollars and 900000 You know, and you can't do nothing with a house that's in a deceased person's name. You know, whatever you want to do with it, Uh, but you've got to use the law to empower yourself. And thank God in that man's case, at least his parents left the will. You know, so there's no fighting and squabbling. At least there'll be less. You always say, hopefully. So give me a call two four zero six three eight two eight two eight two four zero six three eight 2828, when there is a probate involved, we send you a different form that's called a probate information form because we need to know at that point about the deceased person, you know, when they died, where they died, how old they were, and then all the heirs. And then we need a copy of the will. We'll need the original will. We'll need the death certificate. And, you know, then we can prepare the documents to at least. Get the petition started. They have to be signed by the person who's named as the personal representative. Um, And then I, in DC, I physically take them down to the court, to the lockbox, instead of mailing them. Um, And they're moving much more quickly. They're working really, really hard down there. So the court and the legal department is working and moving things much faster. All the courts in this area. They're moving much faster, even though they may not still be open, but they are getting things done. They're doing a great job. They really are. So give me a call at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828, and I'll be glad to work with you either to assist you in getting the administration of someone's will done, getting title. If you have a house, That is in the name of a deceased person, make get done use the law to get it out of the name of the deceased person into the persons that should own it now. That is important. You've got to do that before you can do anything with that property. That is and the sooner you do it, the better. Because let's say the man who called just now, five brothers and sisters, if either one of those brothers and sisters dies. Then you got to open an estate of that deceased person. That estate has to be probated, and the share of that deceased person, although it will go into the name of the estate, that one fifth interest now has to be probated in a separate probate, and those heirs have to be put on the on the deed, okay, uh, before you can sell it or do anything else with it as well. So I encourage you, number one, make sure that you have your own will, your power of attorney, your advanced medical directive. If all brothers and sisters are on the deed, make sure all of them have their will, power of attorney, advanced medical directive. Okay, this is really important stuff. So tune in next week. I will be back with, to try and answer your questions. In the meantime, be safe and take care of each other. Give it up.